<laughs> so I'll go ahead and get something out so you guys can focus. Um, if you're wondering what looks different about me, I made the leap. I shaved it off this week. It's been a beard. I'm talking. If you're new, the beard. I, I shaved my, my beard off. But anyway, um, I'm glad to be here. My wife isn't sure if she likes it or not, but we'll, we'll see if it sticks around or doesn't come back. Um, but church, I'm so glad to be here, and I'm glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, and you can grab them, open them up to chapter 2 of Job. Uh, so as you make your way there, though, I do want to say this. Last week, we started this series on the book of Job. Uh, and last week was actually uh, a pretty foundational week. And what I mean by that is, is the weeks to come are going to kind of build on that week. And so for a moment, as you're finding your place there, I want to get us all caught up on where we are just very quickly uh, so that we know where we're starting from. So Job's story started right off the bat uh, with us knowing that he was a righteous man. He was an upright man. He was a wealthy man. Uh, he loved his family. It says that he interceded in prayer for his family continually. This guy was the man, all right? So that's the story we have. And then, unfortunately, it doesn't stay like that for very long. We then move into things unraveling for Job quickly. And we get a couple glimpses of, of heaven, right? And in heaven, you have this dialogue between God and, and Satan. We talked a little bit about this last week, but where, where God says, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And, and Satan says, yes, but, but God, he's only your servant because of the things that you give him, because of the way that you bless him, because of the way that you protect him. But, but God, if you, if you take away those things, Satan says, he's going to curse you to your face. He's going to curse you to your, your face. And so God says, go, have at it. Only do not touch his life. So it's almost like he said, okay, Satan, go, do your thing, but you have to operate still in my parameters. So Satan went, and uh, this really begins the, the attack on Job, as we read about. So there's two rounds of it. The first round, uh, oh, it was a whirlwind of bad news. As we read, it was as he was talking, as he was talking, then this happened. I mean, it just all happened so quickly, things unraveling, losing his wealth, his donkeys, his cattle, losing his servants, uh, just all gone. And then unthinkable happens, uh, losing his kids. That one's heavy. Losing his kids. So in a moment, it just was... Uh, Satan said, if you take all those things, he's going to curse you, right? Well, Job's response was not curse, but blessing. He, he said, uh, he gives and he takes away. I'm going to choose to bless the Lord. So that was round one, but it didn't end there because then round two happens and all of a sudden, Job is sitting there with boils from head to toe. Uh, gross and nasty boils. Our text says that he was literally scraping himself with uh, broken pottery. Um, that's uh, very vivid. Uh, he, Satan says, if you take away his stuff, if you allow me to attack his health, he's going to curse you to your face. Job's response was not curse, it was blessing, and uh, he did not charge God with wrong through the whole thing. It was kind of like the ultimate motivation check for Job. Job, why do you follow God? Is it because the things you get from God, or is it because he is God? Why do you follow God? Which then prompted us to ask ourselves that same question. 
So we asked ourselves, why do we follow God? Why am I a Christian? Why, for those of us who are Christians in this room, why? And if our answer is anything that can be taken away from us, we've missed it. Because Job shows us that things can come and go, people can come and go, our health can come and go, but God remains and God is constant, God is faithful. Uh, We follow Christ because he is God. That's why we're Christians. And then we talked about one more thing that kind of set the stage for us. We talked about our foundation as we looked through this book. That we have three things that Job never had. Three things that Job never had. Uh, Number one, we have the spirit of God indwelling us. Meaning you, you are never alone. That the spirit that raised Christ from the dead indwells you. You are never, ever alone. Through the good, through the struggle, through it all. Number two, you have the word of God. You have, you have this. That, that, think of it this way. You have, the th- you have the book that tells you how it's going to end. Right? We know that uh, this, our Bibles tell us, in this world you will have trouble. And when it happens, not if, when it happens, it will not defeat you. You will overcome because I have overcome. We have, we have the whole story. Job did not have that. We understand that God uses struggles to sharpen us and to make us more like Christ. Job did not have that. He did not have that. And we have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. Lastly, we have the completed work of Christ. We have the completed work of Christ that Jesus died, to paid, your, died and paid your price took your sin, gave you his perfection, and now Christ stands as that mediator in between, bridging the gap between God and you. And more than that, we know that he, is, he empathizes with us in our weaknesses, so our mediator is one that looks at us and says, I understand. We have those three things which, which Job did not have, and that kind of sets the stage for us as we dive in today Uh, And so this morning, what I want us to do is pick up right where we left off. So at the end of chapter 2, we catch Job right where you would expect to catch Job, in a tremendous amount of pain, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, Job was not well at this when we're dropping into the story right here. Um, He's reeling from what has just happened in his life. And then in verse 11, it says... Now when Job's three friends heard all this evil that had come upon him, and I'll just pause right there for a moment. Remember, this is the world before Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. This was before all of that. It wasn't like someone was live tweeting what was happening to Job. This was an instant, right? There wasn't someone in the house blogging about the journey of Job. None of that was happening. And and so... What this show, it shows us several things, but one of the things that it does show us is, is Job was indeed a great man. This guy was famous. I mean, he was going through this, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the, the known world. It, it, it spread. Without social media, it, it spread because tragedy struck a truly great man and eventually reaches his friends. And so we'll pick it up. They, they came each from their own place. Eliphaz, the Tamanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathite. I got those right the first time. It's awesome. Um, so I want to show you something. Uh, last week, you guys made fun of me because I never show maps, but I did last week. I'm going to do it again. So um, last week, we talked about where, uh, where Job was believed to have lived, where Uz is his, is his home, where that was. And you can go ahead and show that. 
So we talked about it being somewhere in here. It's hard to know for sure because, again, this is a very old story, right? Very, very old story, and cities come and cities go, nations come, nations go, but we do have an idea of where it is, and so we put that up. Now, I wanted to give you a little bit of a perspective. Uh, Eliphaz uh, came from here. If you can see it, this blue dot right there. Um, that's where it's believed that Eliphaz came from. It's southern uh, Jordan, uh, basically. So not only was this, there was no social media, as I already said, but this was not necessarily next-door neighbors either, right? Um, this, they weren't like, I'm just going to hop in my car or my donkey and I'm just going to head that way. This was not like that. They, they, they were separated by quite a, a distance. Um, let's look at um, Bildad. Poor Bildad is even further uh, north. Northern Syria is where it's believed that Bildad um, came from. Um, lastly, let's just go ahead and show it Zophar. Zophar was the closest uh, to, to what was happening, uh, but by no means was this still down the street. In fact, uh, I did some research, just the center of this dot to that dot. Um, roughly, depending on where you put it, it's about 250 miles to 300 in 50 miles. So just to give you some context, grab your stuff and let's walk to Dallas, right? Grab a donkey, grab whatever, grab your stuff. We're walking to Dallas. That's the, the trip here, except our terrain might be a lot flatter than it was here. But, but um, that's kind of the distance that we're, that we're talking about. And, and I say this because really three reasons. Uh, one, it shows the extent of Job's suffering, uh, that it again, would spread throughout the known world at that time, that his suffering would spread. Um, Number two, it indicates that Job's suffering was not brief. This really got to me. So when I read this story, sometimes I think that, okay, the bottom falls out for Job, he shaves his head, he's sitting in a pool of ashes, it's ugly, it's nasty, and then the friends walk in. That is not the picture that is painted. Uh, In fact, his, his suffering probably lasted a good deal of time that he is sitting in it and, and suffering uh, through it. It lingered. And in those moments, you can relate to him. Just did, did memories of his children flood his mind as he's sitting there for those? He sat in his despair. And you, you have to think that his mind was just absolutely warring against him during this time. Just absolutely warring. And, and I just thought, I was like, have you ever been there and been wondering, like, God, when is this going to end? When is this ever going to end? When are you going to make good on what you've said? Well, this is Job sitting in, in this, this long stint of, of struggle. Uh, and thirdly, I mean, honestly, this shows the commitment of the friends. This shows the commitment of Job's friends to their friends, that they picked up from their home and made this long journey to their friend Job. Um, this was not an easy, this was not a convenient trip, this wasn't something in it for them. It was love and action, is what it was. Uh, let's continue in our text. It says, they made an appointment together to come show him sympathy and comfort him. So they made an appointment together. In other words, church, they put it on their calendars and they made it happen. They scheduled it. They sacrificed their time, their energy, their resources for their friend. And each of them made the journey to, to us. They, they made the journey to, to Job to show him sympathy and comfort. Um, they came with the desire to be a good friend. 
I don't want to miss that before we get into their dialogue. Uh, they came with the desire. They, I get the picture of them just wanting to shoulder some of that struggle that Job may be going through. They've heard of it, but they want to get there so they can actually be there for him. These, this is what these friends, this is where they came from. And right off the bat, we're not going to spend much time with this, but it begs two questions, I think. One, do you have friends like this? And two, are you a friend like this? Do you have friends like this? Um, and are you a friend like this? I'm going to show you something. I love this. It, it stuck with me. Uh, Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I... Uh, I read a commentary a ways back that, that modified this translation a little bit, and I want to show it to you. Um, a man of many Facebook friends may come to ruin. And not ripping on Facebook. It's going to come across real negative. Um, but there is a friend who sticks closer to the brother. The reason I show you this is because we are often some of the most networked people that have ever lived. We are well-networked. We are well-connected all the time. We have more quote-unquote friends than ever before, um, but we're often more isolated than ever before. Uh, the average uh, statistic, uh, the statistics tell us that the average person has 2.8 friends, or 2.08 friends. Some of you are thinking, that's pretty cool, you got two. Um, the alarming part of the statistic, though, is they said that the number of people who list zero has doubled since 1985. And it's now at 25%. Okay, so this is really sad because if you just think, bring it from stat to real, one out of four of us is, has no friend. Social isolation, that's our world. That's the world that, that we live in. And this is huge for, for us to think about because this is not the way God created us to operate. It's not God's intended design uh, for us. And as Americans, I know that we love this. We're going to make this happen. We're strong. We're individuals. All I need is Jesus in my Bible, and I'm going to do this. Like, that's kind of very American. But the problem is that's not what God has created you for. It's not what God's created you for. Okay. Jesus is all you need for salvation, yes. Okay. You don't. Jesus is all that you need for, for salvation. But Jesus also called you into community. And it's not healthy, it's not godly for you to withdraw um, from that. A couple weeks ago, we had Community Sunday here. Uh, Mike uh, did a phenomenal job just talking about what gospel-centered community looks like. If you missed that, make sure to take a listen. But um, hear me. Jesus is all that you need. But so often, Jesus is all that you need through people. This is his method of being all that we need. Sometimes he uses people, and if we withdraw from that, we with... I'll put it like this. Um, I think we've lost a value in our culture for friendship. We value family. We value work. We value health. We value a lot of things. But friendship is not really one of those things that we value um, all that. If I were to go into a... If you were to go into your employer and say, hey, I'm going to take a month off because I have a friend who needs me, that employer is going to be like, what are you talking about? No, no. Tell him to get a friend that's closer. Like that's, but if you go in and say, my, my wife needs me, they might. 
There's values there. And I'm not putting down that you need to take off time. Don't hear me wrong. What I'm saying is we've lost a value of friendship in our culture that is needed. And so the question that's on display is, do you have a friend like this? Also, are you a friend like this? Are you a friend who would sacrifice for someone to go and to be there when they need you most, even when it's not convenient for you in, in any way? Just to show up, to sympathize, to take off work, to travel, to clean their house. Whatever they need, that you would show up and you would be there for them because you're that kind of a friend. And hear me, this is not a guilt trip moment because the reality is you don't have the capacity to be this for everyone. You don't. But be it for someone. Right? Be it for someone. Be this kind of friend. Who are the people in your life that you are actively praying for, that you are actively there for? When something bad happens to them, it's like it's bad happening to you. Who are those people in your life? Are you this type of friend? And so these friends make the journey to Job uh, to comfort him, to sympathize with him, and they finally arrive in verse 12. Let's look at this. So when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes, sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. So you get this, picture this scene. These men arrive, they, they finally arrive after their journey, and they see Job from across the street, and they don't even recognize the man. His suffering was so deep and for such a long period of time that it, not only was he suffering mentally and emotionally, this man was suffering physically, and you, they didn't even recognize their friend as they saw him. And they began to weep. They, they tear their robes. They sprinkle dust. These men are shaken by what they see. And then in verse 13, and they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. So for a week, for a week, these men travel long distances to get there. And for a week, they sit together and mourn, and they do not talk. Seven days, seven nights, no words could do justice because the silence, the brokenness, the they just mourned together. They, they cried together in this, in this moment. For a week, these men just sit here. Um, so Job has roughly about 40 chapters more. And for 40 chapters, these guys are going to talk about all the stuff that could have happened, try to puzzle this together, try to put pieces together, talk about how God is good and how did this happen. For 40 chapters, they're going to do this. But here, they just sit for a week and so many have said that this is the best thing the friends ever did in this week of silence, is just to sit with their friend who is mourning. The greatest thing they could have done. And, it, and it's true because in a couple of weeks we're going to read what the friends said and they get themselves into trouble as they open their mouths. Um, and so there is a reality that it's kind of the compassion of silent presence, right? They're just sitting with their friend and sometimes it's exactly what we need, but I want us to look a little deeper than that. Uh, I want us to just, for a moment, have you ever known someone who has gone through something terrible? I mean, just walked through tragedy. Um, and the tragedy is something that's so beyond words. You can't say anything to make it better. 
you can't, it's just a tragedy that happened. There's no words that can do it justice. Um, there's nothing. This was the friends in this moment. When they saw Job, um, it's like they were completely at loss for words. As they looked for, at Job, it was like almost as if he was a corpse of a man. What do you say to a corpse, right? I mean, it's like when they looked at man, it's what they were looking at. It, it, so Job's wife says, curse God and die. We talked about that last week. Although Job did not do that, it's almost as if he was as good as dead. Just broken completely. Nothing can make this right. Um, with that in mind, a couple weeks ago, I came across this as I was reading, and I wanted to just read this to you. This comes from a commentary. I think it's so good. It says, there's no point in talking to a corpse. One just weeps by it. To them, Job was no longer a living person. Their silence may not be so much a silence of sympathy, although it may have begun as such, but a silence of bankruptcy. They say nothing because they have nothing to say that will change anything or that will bring him comfort. It seems to them too late for that. Again, here, my point for this is, is to consider Job. And um, for anyone who has gone through, just in all honesty, some really difficult things in your life, uh, for anyone who has been there and has gone through that, um, there can be just this unparalleled loneliness and brokenness that we go through as we suffer. Just unparalleled loneliness and, I mean, no one knows the pain that you feel. How can we, how can they, how can you relate? Where are you, God, right? You go through these, these moments. It's lonely even though you're in a room full of people. And if you've been in that place, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Um, there's loneliness in, in suffering, and this is Job. And although Job's friends had come to his side, selflessly come to his side, he's sitting there in this, the loneliness of, of suffering. He's, he's, he's there. Um, although his friends were there, there's this, there's this loneliness, and I'll say it like this vertically. God, where are you? Like, it's great that my friends are sitting here not talking to me for a week, but where are you, God? Where are you in, in all of this? There's a loneliness, there's a brokenness in, in suffering, and you don't have to raise your hands, but have you been there? Have you known someone, walked with someone who has been there? And listen, I don't know what your initial thought was when I said, hey, we're going to be going through Job together as a church. Um, some of you have told me what it was, and it was like, why in the world would you do that? Like, really? Can it not be a long series? Um, it, why would we do such a thing? But I want you to consider, have you ever thought of all the ways that Job points us to the good news? Have you ever thought, consider, Job is one of the oldest stories ever told. So have you ever thought of the ways that this old story actually points boldly ahead to our Savior? I want to walk through uh, just a couple things because the reality is there are two things here that I think will change your life, your perspective on God, perspective on suffering. I want you to follow me here with this because we've talked about in this moment, uh, Job is, is broken, he's lonely. He's broken because all of these things from the outside of his control have crashed down in on him and he can do nothing about it. 
There's nothing he can do to pick up the pieces. Nothing. He's broken. Um, he's lonely because who can relate to him? Who can possibly understand what he's, what he's going through? Um, now, where are you, right? This is Job. He's broken. He's lonely, which points us to, I mean, if we're honest, two of the most prominent issues and problems that we deal with today, which is loneliness and brokenness. In fact, if you walk out these doors and get to know the people living in even the neighborhoods around where we are right now, I guarantee that we are going to see loneliness and brokenness. This is a, this is a universal problem that we have that, that Job is, is, um, is going through. And, and struggles seem to just highlight it when we're going through it, right? But Job was broken and he was lonely. And, and here's the reality is this story is going to point us forward to Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about the way it does that. I want to talk first about loneliness. Okay? Um, we talked about the fact that, yes, we have the Holy Spirit living in us and dwelling us, that we're never alone, right? I want to go deeper, though. If you could turn with me to John 15. John 15. So in this text, Jesus is teaching his disciples, uh, starting in verse 9, he's instructing them how to love each other, how to walk in love toward each other. Um, this text, by the way, is absolutely beautiful. If you have time, read it. But then look at verse 12 with me. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Then he says something very interesting. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. Now, remember, Jesus had not yet died on the cross when he spoke these words. But here he points to it. He points to it. He's, he's no greater love. He says, you know how I love you? It's the fact that I'm going to give myself for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. No greater love than this. No greater friend than this. Uh, Jesus demonstrated his love for you on the cross. Not only did he pay your price, give you perfection, and all of the things that we talk about, but, but more than that, because of the cross of Christ, you are never alone. Ever. You are never alone. You have a friend that laid down his life for you, demonstrating the greatest love imaginable to you. And I'll say it like this, and we'll, we'll unpack it, but loneliness is overcome through the cross. Loneliness is overcome through the cross. So Job sat in his suffering, right? He was lonely, wondering if anyone could understand. He was broken. How could anyone relate? Does anyone even care? Honestly, does God even care? And he's sitting there hearing nothing, silence, sitting in his, in his brokenness. That was, that was Job. But hear me, that is not you. Son or daughter of God, that is not you. Why? Because Jesus demonstrated his perfect love for you. No greater friend has ever been. Jesus says, you wonder if anyone understands, if anyone cares? He says, I do. I understand. I understand. I have been lonely. I have endured suffering. I understand. You have something Job does not have. I think of the moment when Jesus was on the cross and he was taking my sin on his shoulder. And the father turns his face. 
There has never been a more lonely moment than that. Lonely suffering as our Savior was on the cross taking my junk. Loneliness and broken. Jesus dealt with your loneliness by becoming lonely on your behalf. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave his life for you, endured the loneliness of suffering so that you no longer have to. No matter what comes your way, you know, no matter what comes your way, you know that the grace of God abounds all the more. Um, Hear me and don't misunderstand me. Uh, Because of Jesus, you will never suffer the way Job suffered. Now, don't hear me wrong, because you may go through the same sufferings Job went through, but you're not going to suffer the way he suffered, because you are not alone. You are not, you have, you will never be alone because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Loneliness is overcome through the cross. We're going to come back, but I want to talk about brokenness. What about brokenness? What about brokenness? Have you seen the brokenness of this world? Have you watched any news? It's broken. What, what God, are you going to do about this brokenness? Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter, chapter 3. Um, by the way, this is, 1 Peter is a wonderful book dealing with suffering. Um, wonderful book. It deals with it beautifully. Uh, but remember, the way that Jesus dealt with your loneliness was becoming lonely on your behalf. Well, in the same way, Jesus deals with your brokenness by becoming broken on your behalf. First Peter 3, let's look at 18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. So let's be honest. I could think of so many other ways for God to have dealt with this broken world. I could think of so many ways that he could have dealt with it, but he chose to be broken. He chose to step, I mean, Christ, the perfect son of God, deciding to step in and suffer for broken people. That's the way you want to deal with it? Like, it's just, it blows my mind, the love that's on display here. Job was sitting wondering, God, where are you in all this? Where are you in all this? God, what are you doing? Where are you? But church, no matter what comes your way, no matter, you will never suffer the way Job suffered. Again, you might face things in life that are truly terrible. In fact, it says, uh, our Bible says, you are not promised a life free of trial and struggle, but you're told in this world you will face trouble, right? You may suffer through similar things that Job suffered through, but Christian, you will never experience the brokenness that Job experienced here. Why? Because we know the truth of Jesus Christ. We know the truth of Jesus Christ. We know the rest of the story. We know the rest of the story. We know the love and the plan that was demonstrated. We know the hope. We know the gospel. 
No matter what, we know the gospel. We know that our Savior was broken for the broken, so that in brokenness there is hope. So that in brokenness we know that we are being made more like Jesus Christ. So that in brokenness we know that we are being refined for his glory. And so brokenness, like loneliness, is overcome through the cross. Brokenness is overcome through the cross. So that no matter what you face, hear me, this is not all there is. This is not all there is. In fact, your life is but just a blink in comparison to the eternity that is yours in Jesus Christ. This is not all there is. This is a hope that we know. This is a hope that Job did not know. Now, yes, Job accepted by faith, God, whatever comes my way, God, I trust you. That was Job's place. But we stand, Job did not have the fully expressed truth of the gospel. He didn't have it. We do. We do. Um, This hope is ours through Christ. And so if we think about it, loneliness and brokenness have been overcome through the cross so that through Christ they will never overcome you. This is the way that we look at the future. Loneliness and brokenness have been overcome, so they will not ever overcome you. And as you relate to the story of Job, know that whatever comes in your life, and I mean this, whatever comes in your life, you are loved, held, and cared for by your God. You are never alone. You are never, ever alone. We may suffer through the same things, but we do not suffer in the same way. Nothing can take you out of the plan and the purpose of God. Nothing. No amount of suffering. We know the plan, and this is the gospel. This is the good news. And if you don't know that good news this morning, if you don't know Jesus this morning, I urge you to come to Christ. I urge you to come to Christ. There is no hocus-pocus thing here, and what I mean by that is... Honestly, um, if God is doing something in your heart, if God in this moment is, is showing you how good his gospel is, if something was said that made you realize the goodness of our God, respond to it. That is what I am encouraging you to do. Um, You don't need to do anything to clean up anything before you come to him. You only need to respond in faith, meaning that you respond to what God is doing in you by confessing the fact in faith that Jesus is Lord. There's nothing, there's no hocus pocus. Here in a moment, I would love the opportunity to pray for you. Uh, and, And I'll do that here in a moment. But more than that, after the service, I would love to talk with you. If this is you this morning, I would love to to talk with you. And church, the gospel is so good. Amen? Um, I want to finish our time together with this, and this is, might be a little strange, but um, there's almost a fear that I see for believers as we read the book of Job. Um, I saw it when we talked about maybe doing Job. There's a fear that we face, it, that we approach, and we, we, we look at it and we say, well, what about my life, Right? Um, is this going to happen? It's kind of like a fear of the what if, and it's almost like if we read Job, there's a good chance that God is going to put us to the test. It's like you're unlocking this 
suffering box. Like, if you read Job, uh-oh. Like, that's what I, that's, there's a certain level of anxiety that comes. When we, when we um, realize the fact that we are not promised ease in this life, there's a certain level of anxiety that comes. Um, right off the bat, though, before we get into the dialogue of the friends next week, um, know this, that God has not given you a spirit of fear. Fear is not yours. Um, the message of Job points us to the good news that you are never alone in your love. And so in light of that, I want to finish our time together in a little bit of a unique way. Um, I want to read a scripture to you. And as I do, I want to ask if you could stand to your feet with me. I want to ask you to uh, close your eyes. I promise you nothing weird's going to happen. If you're new with us and you're thinking, oh, here we go, don't worry. Nothing's going to get weird. Um, as I read this scripture with your eyes closed, I want you to simply meditate on the truth of this. Placing your, um, your fear, your fear of the unknown, just on the table. Uh, if there was ever a scripture that just calls us to trust in the strength of God that never fails and never lets go, it's this one. And I want us to end together by just meditating on this scripture. Um, and so with your eyes closed for a moment, this is from Isaiah. It says, yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. The Lord has no equal. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or to teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path to justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket they are nothing more than dust on scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. All the wood in Lebanon's forests and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up to the heavens who created all the stars, who brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say that the Lord does not see you in your trouble? Oh, Israel, how can you say that God is ignoring you? Have you never heard, have you never understood that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. 
He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired. Young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You are loved by God, church, and you are never alone. And God never grows tired of being your strength.